0: Good evening. We are going to continue uh, some of our thoughts from this morning into the lesson tonight, mostly by going back and looking at a couple of passages and some ideas that were referenced this morning, but we didn't really have time to go deeply into them. Uh, as we do start, though, I want to remember and to remind us that... Um, We are at a transitional period uh, as a congregation, and we have some exciting things on the horizon, and I think that there's a lot of good on the horizon. But as we approach it, let us do so with a lot of prayer. Let us do so with a lot of scripture reading. Let us do so with faith and confidence. Uh, But let's make sure that in all that we do, uh, we will talk to each other. We will talk, uh, you know, we'll probably have people talking in groups. There's going to be a lot of talking that goes on make sure that the majority of your talking is to God. Uh, Make sure that prayer is an everyday part of this journey. Um, I would suggest throwing in some fasting in there as well. Uh, I said it this morning, and I think that it is true. Um, Do not submit a name for elder that you haven't spent a considerable time praying for. Um, That is going to be an essential part of this process, and I want to make sure that every lesson makes that point clearly. Uh, I also want to uh, make the point that that I think we'll see as we go through the lesson tonight, this is in no way for anyone, for a prospective elder, or for anyone who's trying to get someone to become an elder, a time for selfishness in the church. Uh, This is something that is done not so that I can have my favorite guy in there or not so that I can have someone who agrees mostly with me on things or can uh, kind of set or push my agendas. Uh, Sometimes that, that happens. That's a reality of churches looking for elderships is people see an opportunity there. And when that happens, you have qualifications being added that are not in scripture. What I mean by that is if you list through the descriptions of the types of men God is wanting to serve as elders, none of them say agrees a lot with that guy and uh, wants to push his agenda. That's like, that's not the direction any of them go. Uh, The types of men who would be excellent elders of the church are the types of people you can trust to be good shepherds, whether they agree with you or not. They're the types of people who you can trust them to be people of integrity, people who love the church, whether you have the same vision or not. And that's the type of person that we're looking for so that if you get the right elders, you'll have a healthy congregation and you'll be moving in a healthy direction, even if there is uh, some disparity between what exactly we think should be emphasized or what I wish someone would do. It has a lot more to do with the quality of the Person and the life of the, that they are leading than it does any particular view on any particular topic that you want them to address. And, and, and I think that's an important part of this also, um, and it's something that, uh, that when you view them as shepherds who are leading and helping the flock rather than businessmen who are setting the agenda for the corporation that we call the church, then I think you have a much healthier attitude going towards this. And if you want to kill any work of the church, add a selfish desire to control things to it. That's generally where things start to go awry. And I think that's where things start to go awry among a lot of leaders. Um, We're going to look at some passages in the Old Testament that deal with the leadership of ancient Israel at a pretty dark time, uh, at a time leading up to and then including what we call Babylonian exile. And if you read through some of the prophets who are speaking and preaching consistently during those time periods, one of the messages that you'll see repeated throughout them uh, is a message against the leaders of Israel. Oftentimes they're kings, but also a lot of times they're priests, also a lot of times they're prophets. Uh, these are people who instead of standing up and doing what God has called them to do and slowing down the, the, uh, the push into exile, they are speeding it right along. Uh, they are forgetting to care about the people and they're caring mostly about themselves. Prophets who prophesy a message that leads to their own gain are not the prophets that you want. Uh, kings who try to build up their own uh, houses and their own wealth and their own number of wives and concubines are not the kings that you want. And priests who uh, do their job, as we see with Eli's sons, you see it a number of times, they do it to their own greed and their own benefit are not the priests that you want. And so often, those are the types of people who get in leadership positions. And in the books that we're going to be reading, in the passages we're going to be reading, you're going to see that the shepherds of Israel, have become those types of people. Um, shepherds is a king that, in a lot of ancient, or is a word that in a, I just revealed what I was about to say. Uh, shepherds is a word that, in a lot of ancient Near Eastern literature, is used to mean king, specifically when you're talking about leadership. Um, certain kings were called shepherds, and I think that's probably going to be the case uh, with what we're reading in Ezekiel 34. Although I also think that. More commonly, just leaders in general among the people is one of the ways that the word shepherd is used. And I think that happens in Jeremiah and is probably a part of Ezekiel 34 also. Uh, But what I want to start off doing is looking at a passage in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 8 where all sorts of leadership... Is combined into this verse describing what has primarily gone wrong. And I think what you'll see consistently throughout all the verses that we read, if you're looking for a thread which you can tie them all together with, it's going to deal with selfishness. Leadership affords you opportunities to take advantage of things to your own gain, it always does. Pretty much any form of leadership does that. And the leaders that you want are the ones who refuse to do that, are the ones who care more about the people that they're leading than the personal gain that they can benefit from it. Um, As I said in the lesson this morning, one of the things that I so appreciate about this congregation is I genuinely trust and believe that every one of our elders that we have has the church's best interest at heart rather than their own, every one of them. Uh, and it comes up consistently. When you factor in all of the different areas of ministry that we have at this church, we have a school connected to this church, we have a mission work that goes around the world, we have a local benevolence work, we have teaching and education ministries, we have all kinds of ministries, and a lot of the elders focus in each of these different areas, and I, every one of them, the area of emphasis that they care about, they genuinely care about it and they want it to thrive. It's more about the area that they're serving in. It's more about the individual people who not only do we have all of those ministries, there's also people who have needs and people come up a lot. And in the elders meetings, I get to listen to them discuss the best ways to go about helping people, the best ways to try to uh, serve as many people as possible. I get to hear them pray over this church and over the individuals who are going through hardships. I get to see how much they care about people who have been a part of this church and who have wandered off and we don't see as much anymore. Like, I get to see these as a regular part of my interactions with the elders, perhaps more so than a lot of other people do. And when you see that, it becomes obvious that we have good men who care about the church and that's something we need to make sure continues. That's something we need to be looking for with whoever becomes an elder. That's the type of person we're looking for. The type of person who isn't doing it for themselves but is doing it because they genuinely are faithful Christians who love the body of Christ and they love this congregation and they want to see this church and all of the things that this church does thrive. So with that in mind, in Jeremiah chapter 2, that is not the case for the leaders of Israel at this time. Uh, the leaders of Judah have not proven themselves to be those types of men. And pretty much everything we're going to read tonight is going to be a condemnation of the leaders. Uh, so again, I'm not reading these to condemn our leaders. What I, you can often read through these texts and you can see the things that make God unhappy Those are the types of things you should avoid. So as we're doing this, you'll get a pretty clear list of the types of things that God wants in his leaders and the types of things that God does not want. And again, the thread that ties them all together deals with self-sacrificial love. Uh, Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for others? If you look at chapter 2 and verse 8 of uh, Jeremiah, it says, The priests did not say, Where is the Lord? All right, so he's going to go through different... uh, departments of leadership in Israel, and he's going to talk about the areas that they have failed. And one of them, he mentions the priests here, they didn't ask, where is the Lord? It seems like they're willing to go through their leadership without Putting conscious thought into where is God in all of this? Uh, we want the Lord to be with us, and they're not seeking the Lord. They're doing it for themselves, and they're doing it on their own. And so, even though their whole business is about the Lord, they haven't even thought to ask the question where He is in all of this. He then goes on. He say, and he says, and those who handle the law did not know me. So you have teachers, and you have people who are supposed to be experts in the law and experts in teaching, and yet in all of that. They might know the laws, but they don't know the one who gave them. They don't know the Lord. That's a big problem. Uh, Being an excellent Bible scholar isn't always the same thing as actually knowing Jesus and actually knowing God. Now, don't get me wrong. I think the Bible is a huge help in that, but you can become an expert in the Bible and know virtually nothing about God. I, I know of people who admittedly are not Christians. They are atheists or agnostics. Yet they have an excellent Bible education. They were educated in the Bible, or they're even professors of the Bible. They teach it probably quite differently than a person of faith would. But you can see people who know the words, and yet they don't know the the, the teacher. They don't know the ultimate supreme giver of those words. And I think you see that in uh, chapter 2 and verse 8. But then notice the next phrase. It says, the rulers also transgressed against me and the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. They didn't profit the people. They might've profited themselves, but they didn't profit the people to whom they were prophesying. They didn't give them what actually matters and what has value, which is the word of God. But notice here, he mentions the priests, those who handle the law, which would also be among the priests, uh, the rulers, the prophets, uh, The word rulers right there, and this is where it's going to depend a little bit on your translation. Uh, Pretty consistently, a lot of the Bibles translate that word as rulers, uh, I was noticing. Um, The English Standard Version puts the word shepherds in there. And that 's if I were translating the passage that 's the word that i 'd have in there, because this is the same word that in all of the other passages that we 're going to read, is translated as shepherds. This is the same word that 's used in psalm twenty three one The Lord is my shepherd um, and so he in this passage, he mentions the priests, he mentions the shepherds, he mentions the prophets and uh, and I think in every one of those, you see how they've gone astray from what God has called them to be. Well, later on in Jeremiah, you're going to have some specific condemnations of prophets. You're going to have some specific condemnations of priests. And in chapter 23, he's going to have some specific words for those he calls the shepherds. So look with me at Jeremiah chapter 23 in verse 1. This is the same word that he used in chapter 2 and verse 8. He's using again here to talk about these shepherds. And he says, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Notice whose pasture it is. Notice uh, whose sheep they are. Notice whose land it is. And yet there are shepherds who have gone in there and they have destroyed and scattered them. This is the type of thing that's going to anger God because God is the ultimate and chief shepherd. And we tried to talk about that this morning. Jesus is the ultimate chief shepherd. He is the guardian of all that we do. And yet he also wants other shepherds to be involved. Jesus wants to be the chief shepherd, but also have shepherds who as sheep shepherd and bring others nearer to him. Um, That's what the leaders in Israel were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to shepherd God's sheep. But that's an important distinction that they are shepherding God's sheep rather than shepherding their own sheep. Uh, They're not the ones who have the final say and they're not the ones who have the final authority. God always does. And so shepherds are, the best shepherds are the ones who are also followers. Uh, You need shepherds who are following the chief shepherd. And what's happening right here is you have shepherds who are trying to take the sheep for themselves. Or you have shepherds who are scattering and destroying the sheep for their own benefit, and they've forgotten that this is actually God's pasture that you're serving in. Verse 2 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. So God says, you shepherds who are tending my people, listen to what I'm about to say to you. Because you're doing so in a way that is dishonoring me. You're removing me from the, being shepherd and trying to do it in your own way. He says, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am, uh, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds. So they have ignored the flock. And they have not attended to them. So God says, well, I'm not about to ignore you. I'm going to, the attention that you should have been giving to them, I'm going to give it to you, shepherds, and it's not going to go very well for you. Uh, Because you have been given a responsibility and you shirked it. Uh, You have done so in a way that dishonored me and was to the downfall and to the detriment of the sheep. So verse 3 after God punishes the shepherds, he says, then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them uh, and bring them back to the pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. Now that's, that's an interesting verse right there. Because what he's saying is basically they're going to be scattered. We talked a minute ago about Babylonian exile. I think that specifically is the scattering that he has in mind, but that's not going to be the end of the story. God will bring them back again. He will be their shepherd again. And they will, the phrase, be fruitful and multiply. That's, that's the creation phrase. That's, that's Genesis chapter 1. God created man and his, woman in his image. He blessed them, said, be fruitful and multiply. Um, that is right after the flood. When Noah comes out and you have a whole new world to start things over, he is told to be fruitful and multiply. This is a phrase that's used where God is, I think, in essence saying, Things have gone awry, but I'm going to bring them back, and I'm going to restore things to their natural order. The way things were created and intended to be from day one, and that's what I'm going to do for my people. When I'm the shepherd, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold them to how things have gone wrong in the past. Things have gone wrong. That's true. I'm going to bring them back, and I'm going to start things anew there's going to be a new creation initiative. They're going to be fruitful and multiply and I will bless them. And then verse four, and I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them. And I will, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. So he says, I'm going to give new shepherds to them who actually do the job. Good shepherds, shepherds who do attend to them. And when you have shepherds like that, you don't have to spend every day afraid about about your enemies, about what's going to happen. I think when you have a good eldership in a church, you don't have to spend every day afraid about what the future's going to hold and, and about what new thing we're going to do this Sunday and how that's or or whether or not we're going to stick to the Bible or go in another direction. Or when you have godly, trustworthy elders, it removes a lot of anxiety and fear you have about the church. And what he's saying right here is for Israel. When he does give them those good shepherds, after removing these ones, after bringing them back, after starting things anew, and after giving them some new good shepherds, well, they're not going to have to be afraid anymore, and none of them will be missing anymore. They're not going to continue to be scattered. God will bring them back. Verse 5, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Keep that phrase in mind, because we're going to go to Ezekiel 34 here in a second, and you're going to have a very similar trajectory of thought, which is bad shepherds, God's going to start doing the work of a shepherd, and then he's going to raise up a good shepherd for them, who he calls David in that passage. He's doing the same thing right here, replacing bad shepherds with good shepherds, God being the ultimate shepherd, and uh, raising up a a David who's going to come. Uh, But he says, David, a righteous branch. And he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will uh, dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our Righteousness. That's, that's the king that God's going to give them again. As Christians, we should not be able to read that passage without thinking about Jesus, uh, without thinking about the ultimate king who God has given to bring sheep from all over under the rule of God. When Jesus says things like, I am the good shepherd. And when Jesus says that I have sheep that are not from this fold, that I'll bring in to make one, these are some of the types of images that we should be having in our head. Jesus is that David, Davidic king, who God has raised up to have one secure family of sheep. Again, he's the chief shepherd. But then you look at verses 7 and 8, and uh, we'll, we'll finish with Jeremiah with these passages. But it says, Therefore, behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, "...as the Lord lives who brought the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt." All right, that's the book of Exodus. And that's what they've always said about God. They've always said, oh, God, he's the one who brought us out of Egypt. He, that, that's our great salvation story. But he says that's going to—the day is coming when that's not going to be the way you talk about it anymore. In verse 8, he replaces the exodus with the idea of a new exodus. He says, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the Northland and from the countries where I had driven them, then they will live on their own soil. Um, Throughout Jeremiah, you see the same language in Ezekiel. You see it a whole bunch in Isaiah. There's what you would call the new Exodus, the Babylonian captivity, where the children of Israel are captives in Babylon. Babylon is a lot like them being slaves in Egypt. And what did God do when they were slaves in Egypt? He overthrew Egypt and he brought them out to the promised land. And that's the wonderful story of God saving them from slavery and giving them new life. And that's, that's their Passover celebration. And then he gave them Torah and he became their God. They made a covenant with each other. Well, then they destroyed their covenant with God and they went their own way and they ended up in Babylonian captivity. So you could think, oh, that's the end of the story. But no, God wants them to know a new exodus is going to happen. You're going to come from Babylon, and you're going to be brought securely back. And I'm going to give you a good shepherd, and I'm going to be your shepherd. And we'll take care of you, and we'll heal that which was broken, and we'll tend to that which has been uh, in in ailment and in pain. And and God will save them again. They're going to have a new story, and it's going to continue on. Um, And so you see exodus imagery throughout the Book of Exodus, certainly, but then throughout the prophets to talk about God bringing them back from captivity, and then you see the same thing in the life and ministry of Jesus with what he 's doing. You have another new exodus uh, you have a better wilderness story when it comes to uh, to what Jesus is doing and uh, and the the freedom of slavery that Jesus offers us you see is even greater than the freedom of slavery that you had. In these other old testament passages but but jeremiah twenty three is an important passage about shepherds about them not being the shepherds God has called them to be, the selfishness that led to that that God is going to then act to put, produce his good shepherds. Uh, look with me now at ezekiel thirty four and I think we 're going to get another very similar type of uh, of uh, prophecy but ezekiel thirty four is a really important chapter to have in your minds uh, when it comes to Babylonian captivity, when it comes to shepherding, when it comes to Jesus as the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus is well aware of this passage. And this is another one of those passages that refers to a good shepherd that is going to come. I think Jesus is explicitly referring to this when he starts referring to himself as the good shepherd. He knows of this passage and he is the ultimate fulfillment of this passage. And so in Ezekiel 34, we're going to see there are shepherds who are supposed to be leading God's people, and they're doing a bad job. Um, look at uh, Ezekiel 34 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man. All right, so this is God telling Ezekiel. He's calling him the Son of man. That's a that's common uh, description of Ezekiel. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Uh, so that's foundational statement number one the shepherds are feeding themselves rather than feeding the flock. Uh, They are more concerned about getting their own way. They're more concerned about their own well-being. They're more concerned about their own wealth, uh, their own power, than they are actually feeding and caring for God's people. And so anytime you have people in leadership who are of that ilk, you're setting yourself up for problems. Here are some of the problems. Uh, You get to verse 3 and following. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat without feeding the flock. The imagery there is, they're such bad shepherds. Instead of caring for the sheep, they're eating the fat ones and covering themselves in the wool. It's like they're destroying their own sheep. He says in verse 4, Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. And nor have you sought after the lost. But with force and severity, you have dominated or ruled them. Notice that list right there. That's an important list because he's he's going in order of these are the things that you are not doing. But these are the things that every good shepherd should do. Shepherds should uh, strengthen the sick. So if you're looking for shepherds... Who are the ones who can help strengthen those who are spiritually sick or I mean, even physically sick? Go and show care and concern and help for those who are going through those types of uh, sicknesses and illnesses. Uh, the diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. When a shepherd has a sheep that breaks a leg or wounds itself, he's going to try to save and help and heal and bind up and care for. You know, I, I know there are elders in churches who when they see someone who's spiritually sick their response is not to try to tenderly go sit with them and help heal them and bring them where they want them to be it's to ignore them or to cast them out Uh, you know that that's sometimes that's the easiest thing to do doesn't mean it's the right thing to do Uh, sometimes the easiest thing is when you see someone who's weak you think oh let's not focus on them let's focus on the good strong ones and that's where we're gonna sometimes sitting with the person who is weak Sometimes putting your arm around them and loving them and bringing them along. That's what the shepherd does. That's what the shepherd does with his sheep. And that's what God is saying. That's what you shepherds should have been doing. Instead of ignoring the weak, you help the weak. Instead of ignoring the ones who were broken, those are the ones you try to go sit with and try to heal up and bind up. He says, and the scattered you have not brought back and the, you have not sought the lost. I don't know of any church that doesn't have people who are scattered, people who are lost. One of the roles of a shepherd is to genuinely care even for those people, to seek them, to try to reach out to them. Um, and that's something that uh, that God is condemning the shepherds of Israel for not taking that responsibility seriously. Verse 5, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. Um, the idea of becoming food for the beasts, uh, I, th- I think that the beast language that he's using here um, goes right in line with Daniel, chapter 7, uh, where you have Daniel in Babylonian captivity, and he describes these nations of the earth as these beasts, whether it's a lion or a bear or a leopard or just a huge great beast. Uh, and those nations that have destroyed and, and devoured and eaten like all of God's creation and all these other nations they just try to get bigger and stronger every one of them they're those are the ones who they're predators who are out destroying and they destroy God's people and in Daniel 7 God then chooses a one like a son of man and he gives him the kingdom not to the beasts but to him and he's going to be the true king who all people's nations languages and tongues worship and and that's the language that Jesus uses for himself. Jesus actually quotes those passages about himself about the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven and receiving a kingdom. And so in Daniel the the Babylonian captivity is described as where beasts are devouring. And then the beasts that come after Babylon, they are they're continuing in that same way. And What Ezekiel 34 is saying is the reason that the sheep are being destroyed by these beasts, these other nations like Babylon, is because their shepherds have led them astray. Their shepherds have not kept them close to God, but their shepherds have ignored them, tried to get wealthy themselves, their kings. When you look at the, I mean, read this with the book of Kings and Chronicles, and you'll see that king after king after king is rebellious against God, is trying to make deals with other nations, is ruling ruthlessly and dominating the people so that they can have their own wealth. I mean, that was, that was explicitly um, advice that was given to, uh, to Rehoboam as to what he was going to end up doing, replacing his father. And he decided, I think I'm going to deal really harshly with the people and when that happened it led to a revolt it led to a a nation splitting Uh, well they have continued to do that same type of thing and the sheep have been scattered verse 6 my flock wandered through all the mountains on every high hill my flock was scattered all over the surface of the earth and there is no one to search for them therefore you shepherds hear the word of the lord As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field and for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock. And rather, my shepherds fed themselves and did not feed the flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear this word of the Lord. So verse 8 kind of just goes through the list. You haven't cared for the people, so they've been scattered. Once they were scattered, you didn't search for the people. And instead of serving and helping them, you got fat yourselves because you were, you were feeding off of them. And so because of all of that, verse 10, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. So what God is saying here is, okay, you guys are done being shepherds. Uh, just like the Jeremiah passage, shepherds are worthless, uh, and you're not doing your job as shepherds. And the, sh- people, the, the sheep are scattered and dispersed, and they're prey to the beasts, and they're being eaten. So I'm going to put a stop to this. And the way God does it is by himself entering in as their shepherd, who will bring them back to safety and security. Verse 11, for thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. Instead of the shepherds of Israel doing it, I'm not relying on the kings anymore. They're not doing their job. I'm not relying on these other leaders. I'm going to seek them out. I'm going to search for them. In verse 12, as a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among the scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them all from the places which they have been scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. So I'm going to do the shepherd job. As a shepherd is supposed to do it, I'm going to do it. Verse 13, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them out of the land and I will feed them on the mountains uh, of Israel and the streams of all the inhabited places. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be the mountain heights of Israel. They will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pastures on the mountains of the land. I will feed my flock. I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. So what is he going to do? Well, he's going to feed them. He's going to give them rest. He's going to care for them. He's going to bring them back into the fold. He's going to search for them. Like, that's what the shepherd does. I mean, Jesus uses that illustration about the the shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets away. He searches for them. He wants to bring them back, and he rejoices gratefully when that happens. That has not been what the shepherds of Israel are doing, but that is what God does. And so, verse 16, I will seek the lost. Bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick. That's the list that we saw earlier, that what the shepherds weren't doing, God is going to do it. But then he says something astounding and kind of shocking. And you think, oh, like it makes you pause for a second. He says in verse 16, I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong sheep I will destroy and I will feed them with judgment. I'm like, wait a minute here. Uh, so the sheep that are doing well, those are the ones who are going to get punished? What, what about the shepherds? And what the text then moves into from verses 16 really through 22 is uh, apparently when you don't have shepherds who are doing their job, the flock can turn against each other. You're going to have some inner flock turmoil here. And what it seems is that there are some of the sheep that are weak and skinny, and dying, because when it's time to eat, the other sheep walk up there, and they use their shoulders, and they nudge them out of the way, and they consume everything for themselves while leaving the other sheep with nothing. And so it's not only the shepherds who are going to be punished, but the sheep that took advantage to try to do things their own way, whatever was for their own best benefit. Without leadership, they dominated others, and they tried to become the ones who, who took everything for themselves. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, what you have going on in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 with the Lord's Supper, where you have some who they're eating everything for themselves, and the other people, by the time they arrive, there's no food left, and there, there's nothing left for them. And it's like that That is never the way that the church is supposed to be. That's not the way ancient Israel was supposed to be. I mean, if you look at the laws of ancient Israel, you're not even supposed to reap your own harvest to the edges of your property. You're supposed to leave that there. If You're not supposed to comb over it twice. If you drop something, you're supposed to leave it there. And the reason specifically given is because there are foreigners and there are poor people and there are widows and there are people who maybe their crops didn't come in this year and they need something to eat. So make sure that you don't just have excess in huge barns and then tear them down to build bigger barns. Instead, what you do... You make sure that you don't have a starving neighbor. You make sure that you are, are not getting fat while the sheep next to you is starving. Well, if there's no shepherds in Israel who are instilling that, then you don't have people acting that way. And you have some that get everything and others that get nothing. That's not the way it is. That's not the way God calls them to be. And so in order to put a stop to that, this is when you get to verse 23. This is what God's going to do in his future day. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now, at the time Ezekiel is written, David is long dead. So he's talking symbolically about someone in the line of David, a king like David is going to be is going to come again. He's going to be a shepherd, and he is going to be the one shepherd over the people. And he will feed him, them, and he will uh, feed them himself and be their shepherd, and I, the God, will be, and the Lord will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land, so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. So this is a day where there will be one king in the line of David who will be their shepherd. And this, I believe, Jesus is, is thinking about when he's referring to himself as the good shepherd. And he's the one who cares for the flock. He's going to be that David right there. He's going to be that one king who is ruler and who unites the people and who can actually bring safety to his people and salvation to the sheep. As you keep reading through... Uh, it continues to describe the blessings that will come in that day. But then uh, verse 30 and 31 is where you find out, I mean, I mean, I think you, you already knew the whole time, but uh, it was where it reveals that it, this is a parable, not just about sheep and a shepherd, but about the people. Verse 30 says, Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and that their house of Israel are my people, declares the Lord. As for you... My sheep, the sheep of my pastor, you are men and I am your God, declares the Lord. So the sheep that he's been talking about this whole time are his people. They're the people where he is their God and he is tired of seeing them abused and abandoned and mistreated by poor shepherds. Good shepherds, they don't shepherd for their own benefit. They don't shepherd uh, by neglecting the sheep. They don't shepherd by forgetting the sheep. But even the sick ones, they try to make better. Even those who are broken, they try to heal. Even those who are lost, they try to seek. Why? If you're just trying to have the easy life where you get everything you want, all of that's pointless. But if you genuinely, truly love the sheep, that's what you do. That's what the good shepherd does. That's why Jesus is the ultimate good shepherd, and he's bringing others along to shepherd in his fold, to bring sheep nearer to him. You read through these passages, and you get several levels of sheep, of shepherd. You have God as the ultimate shepherd. In both passages, we read, he will raise up a shepherd like him from the house of David. You also have the other people who are supposed to be shepherds, and yet they're failing at their job. Well, I've said it numerous times, I'll say it again, we have good shepherds here, and if we're going to add more to them, which is a wonderful thing to do, and it's something that's important to do for the future, and it's something that's important to the health of this church, we need to find good shepherds. Shepherds who love the sheep, shepherds who care even for the least, shepherds who will help the sick and bind up the broken and seek after the lost. Those are the types of shepherds that God wants in his fold. That's the type of shepherd God is, That's the type of shepherd Jesus is, and their calling is churches to have those kinds of shepherds as as well, to be examples and also to follow the example of the ultimate shepherd. And so I am excited to see what we have before us. I don't think we're going to fall into a, a Babylonian exile situation. I think things are going to be really promising. I think we have very good men here. I think we have good leaders here. I think we have good shepherds here. And pray Continue to be positive, continue to keep your eyes open as we move towards a decision. Um, If there's anyone here tonight who uh, you would like the prayers of the church, uh, you would like to become a Christian tonight, please let that be known. We'd love to help in any way that we can. If you do have that need, please come and sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.